This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. 2017 is going to be a volatile economic year. We may see politicians throughout the world attempting to control central bank policies. Several renowned financial analysts have warned that political interference in central bank policies may mean our economic misses of inflation and growth targets. Gold is an international currency that can't be issued or controlled by governments. If you don't have the only hard currency that has outlasted every politician and every failed idea of governments for centuries, you need to speak to Goldline right now and learn how easy it is to add gold to your portfolio or IRA. Now is the time to diversify your financial portfolio by adding gold. Call 1-800-913-GOLD. Buying real gold is easy and fast at Goldline. And you're going to be happy that you finally made the call. 1-800-913-4653. Goldline also offers price protection against short-term market fluctuations on qualifying purchases. So buy with confidence. Read Goldline's important risk information and find out if buying gold is right for you. Call Goldline. 1-800-913-4653. This Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This is the Freedom's Disciple podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Dunn. This is the show exclusive to the Blaze Radio Network where you come for the accent, but you stay for the principles. I hope you're having a wonderful, relaxing Saturday or Sunday, or whatever day you happen to listen to this show. I'm having a wonderful week. I'm in a bit of a funny mood today, truth be told, but I'm really looking forward to this show. I'm a bit, I don't know, I'm hyper. What can I say? It's the week before baseball season starts, and hope springs eternal. But we have a jam-packed show for you today. Um, I want to talk to you about conservative traditional principles. I'm going to talk to you about healthcare. I want to talk to you about free trade. And I want to also share some stories with you, something I need to do a lot more of, of what's happening in Europe, some of the issues that are ongoing right now. But before we do, I want to set the stage for what I kind of want to lay out this show about. And I, I, I want to lay out every show like this about principles. But one of the questions I get on a regular basis when I do interviews or when I'm talking to people or when I'm interacting with some new listeners to the show is, you're Irish. Why do you care so much? Why are you so involved? And the answer, honestly, I could spend the next week answering that question and not even come close to all the reasons I love America and why I do what I do. But it all boils down to your history what your nation stands for. It is an idea. An idea and a belief in the individual. An idea that challenged the status quo, that challenged everyone's way of thinking at your founding. And sadly, if America was founded today, it would still be such a revolutionary thought. That that belief in the individual, that the individual is sovereign, that the individual can do anything they need to do, That we don't believe in labels, that we don't believe in classes, that we don't believe in educational status. If you have an idea and you work hard, you can do it. The American dream in in, in so many words. But also because I love the way your system is set up. I love your trilogy of freedom. They lay out everything I believe that needs to be laid out, or the vast majority of it. The idea that the individual is sovereign, that they have rights, but they're not 
They're not from government, they're from God. And the role of government. The role of government. The government's job is not to give rights to people. It is to protect those rights that they already have. Another reason I love your founding, and this is where I want to take this show in the direction of, is I love your founders' view. Who were very, They were very smart men. They were very well read, but they also looked around the world and said, do you know what? What do other people do? How do other people rule themselves? How do other people act? How do their politicians, what do they do? How do they do it? And they came up with something that was not a democracy, is not a democracy, and God willing, never will be a democracy, but a constitutional republic. That system of checks and balances, that system of you have a House of Representatives that's elected by your people every two years. You have a Senate, which is the state body, which is the body for this each and every state. You have the same amount of senators, whether you're a big state or a small state, two. And that you can be recalled. And that the states decide. And that's a more of a, a deliberative body, a slow-moving body. And then you have the presidency, the executive, the one-man band, so to speak. That setup is so unique, and it is set up for, for greatness. Your setup ha- does play a big part in your success. That different, that interchanging, that, that two years, every four years, every six years. And like the Senate, that it can't just be a, on a whim of election. That you can't just have a, you know, a, a tailwind election. Or a landslide election going in one way or the other in the Senate. You can have it in the House. You can have one party this year having a 100-seat lead. And if things go wrong, you can have the other party having a 100-seat lead in the next term. You can't have that in the Senate. That setup, that consistency, that core is wonderful. Now, why did I talk about that? Why did I start with my show with that? Well, because I am... A strong defender and believer in your constitution. I love it. I think it's one of the many, many, many reasons that sets you apart. But honestly, that system has been under attack for 100 and 150 years. You now see that you don't have direct elections of senators anymore. You're elected by the people. But the system and the way of government that I love... Your way of life that I love and that I defend and that I am so desperate to be part of is under attack. But it's under attack by more than what people will say it's under attack by. It's under attack by both left and right. It's under attack by the left, the media and members on the right. And sadly, so many people on the right want to forget about the attacks from the right. The first progressive, the bull moose, was Teddy Roosevelt, a a Republican. I can look back in history and point out all the bad things Republicans have done. But that's for a past show or for a future show. I want to focus in on one individual. My job is, and that I see my job, is setting the record straight and portraying the values and principles I know you used to hold dear and that I believe many of you still do. 
and portray them and give you encouragement that says you're not alone. But this week, sorry, last week, I think it was, a person on the right decided to come out and basically lambast the Freedom Caucus. I will defa- I will set the record straight. I don't care if you're left, right, top, straight, middle or the bottom. If you lambast and talk about unconstitutional things and, and non-traditional conservatives while bashing conservatives, I'm going to do my best to set the record straight. I don't care who you belong to. You can be a work colleague for all I care. I'm going to set the record straight. This week, congressman from Texas, Republican congressman from Texas, a congressman from Texas who has an 87% lifetime score with FreedomWorks and a 92% lifetime score with the ACU, the Conservative Union. So this is not a John McCain, Lindsey Graham, moderate, squishy Republican. So step forward, Ted Poe, and he said a couple of things which we need to address, and I'm going to do after. So just hear what he said. The the Freedom Caucus has always been the opposition caucus and against the Democrats. And now when we are in the majority, it continues to be the opposition caucus against anything in the Republican Party. And we had not been included in the past, but we were included in the health care replacement bill. I mean, we spent an hour and a half with the president of the United States, the vice president, members of the cabinet, talking and making compromise. And compromises were made. Things were added to the bill based upon the input of the Freedom Caucus. But then at the end of the day, no, it was easier to vote no. And so I'm angry about that. I think it's time that we lead and continue not to say no on everything that takes place uh, when bills come forward in the House of Representatives. Well, so look, since the president... Stop. Wow. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? That is Congressman from Texas, Ted Poe. So first of all, I have a load of things to say about this. So let's address this point by point. First of all, just a small thing. Do people care about their optics anymore? Of how they look or how they sound? Like, I don't know about you, but every time I hear that, I kind of go, it makes you sound so cheap and so needy that the president spent 90 minutes with you and then you felt compelled to vote for us. Is that all it takes? Oh, well, he spent 90, or any president spent 90 minutes with me and they listened to me. So, of course, I have to vote yes. Do you realize how needy that makes you sound? Second point, that you only say no to stuff. I would dare say the problem in America right now with your Congress and your politicians, it's not that the Freedom Caucus and people say no. It's that so many people on left and right say yes. Yes, absolutely. Yes, yes, vote. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I can't spend money fast enough. I can't rule fast enough. I can't legislate fast enough. Yes, 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 yes. That is the problem in America. Not no. Not people saying no. Not people dropping this bill and saying they wouldn't vote for it. It's like we have forgotten. Do you remember when a couple of years ago when Obama said, I have a pen and I have a phone? 
and everyone mocked him for on the rice usually for such outrageous dictatorial comments now these are not as blatant as obama's i have a pen on my have a phone but they are as equally as ignorant because we act today like the constitution is this old document that we never read or we never pay any attention to all while we talk about the constitution and thinking it's the gr- and talking like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread well how about we look back in history how about we take a little trip together because what they were discussing and what he left the freedom caucus over was healthcare effectively a bill over healthcare repeal and replace obamacare it's like we don't understand what's in the constitution it's almost like we kind of go well the constitution's over there it's full of dust and it's full of grime and i read it sometime maybe i read it on 4th of july but it's just i don't pay any attention to it but i'll talk about it all the time it's almost like we've forgotten that you know those great men those founders who are so smart it's almost like we've forgotten like there's that thing what's that word thing what's that legal term I'm trying to think, what's that? Oh, yes, enumerated powers. It's almost like we've just totally forgotten about it. And what makes it even more annoying for a congressman is it's not like you have to read very far into the Constitution. It's not like you have to read Article 5 or 6, you know, where you I got to read all of 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5 to find it. It's in the first article. Article 1 of the Constitution is basically defines the role of Congress. Section 8 contains the enumerated powers of Article 1, which is Congress. So let's play a little game, shall we? Let's have a bit of fun, because I'm in a bit of a quirky mood. Let's see if Congressman Poe is right, that all people ever do is say no. Well, let's see about the Constitution, shall we? You know, let's, let's blow the dust off that old boy, huh? Let's walk and talk and, and talk about the Constitution. Let's go through all the clauses in Article 8 of what your founders, the men you're supposed to revere, which are supposed to be great men, and you're supposed to revere this document. So let's see, can we find healthcare anywhere? And bear in mind, you know, disclaimer for this, we're not liberals. We're not going to use, well, the general welfare clause, that can be anything. Or the commerce clause, that can just, that if it applies to commerce, it means it's in the commerce clause. We're not liberals. We're actually people who call me crazy for saying this, but believe in the Constitution, believe in your founders, believe in the founders' spirit behind the words in the Constitution, and also talk about the Constitution. So let's play along, shall we? Are you ready? So, Section 8, here we go, baby. Clause 1, the power to tax and spend. Hmm. Do I see health care in the power to tax and spend? Hmm. Well, if I was a liberal, I might say yes, because I'd be like, John Roberts, it is a tax, it isn't a tax, it is a tax, it isn't a tax, it is a tax, it isn't a tax. God, I'm dizzy just talking about that. But no, we're not liberals and we're not John Roberts. We actually have read the Constitution. So, is healthcare in Clause 1 the power to tax and spend? Hmm, nope. How about Clause 2, borrowing power? Nope. Clause 3, the commerce power? Mm Mm-mm. Clause 4, naturalization and bankruptcies. Well, if I was a liberal, I might go, well, do you know how many people are going to go bankrupt with with this Obamacare and this replacement? But again, we're not liberals. It's, it must be so easy to be a liberal, by the way. Just You can just use any word you want. 
But no, it's not in Clause 4. Clause 5 and 6, the money text. Well, money changes hands. You give money to the insurance company, right? Nope. Clause 7, the post office text. Hmm, I wonder how a liberal can make Obamacare into the post office text. Huh. Well, the the, the, the postman does deliver the, the insurance check and, and the insurance statement to you. Clause 8, copyrights and patents. Nope. Clause 9, the creation of the courts. Nope. Clause 10, the maritime crimes. <laughs> no. Clauses 11, 12, 13, and 14, the war and military establishment clauses. <laughs> healthcare? No, I don't see healthcare there either. The militia text in 15 and 16 of Article 1, Section 8. Nope. How about Clause 17, the District of Columbia and the Federal Property Explanation? Mm, no, don't see healthcare there either. And it's time for last but not least, the Necessary and Proper Clause. No, I don't see healthcare there either. So, Congressman Poe, the problem in Congress right now is not that people are saying no, that people just want to be in opposition. If you believe in the Constitution and you read your history, the problem is not that people have said no, the problem is people have said yes. People have said yes on all sides to non-constitutional ideas, non-constitutional, non-founding fathers, believing ideas. The problem is your your politicians for the last 100, 150 years have acted more like European sellout, utopian politicians closer to those than those of your founding fathers. And that is the so sad and cold, hard truth. But lastly, I want to address one other thing. That it's easy to say no. Have you seen some of the stuff that's going on? Do you think it's easy to, to be at the end of a president's tweet calling you out? Do you think it's easy to be told by the administration that anyone who votes no is going to be primaried in the next election? Do you think that's easy to stand up to that? Do you think it's easy to stand up to your colleagues? I can think the easy answer is to vote yes. It's just to do something. Well, look, you know, I know Obamacare isn't perfect, but we did something. That, sir, is the easy road. The hard road is to have principles. That is true in 2017. It was true 100 years ago, and it's true 1,000 years ago. It is true throughout the history of this world. It is easy to go along to get along, which is what you're doing. But it's hard to believe in something, to believe in a principle, and to follow it, even when everyone else says you're wrong and attacks you for it. That, sir, is not easy. That, sir, is called integrity. That, sir, is called honour. And I do believe your founder said that was sacred somewhere. I can't remember where, but I do believe it was in one of your documents. Oh, yes, the Declaration of Independence. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honour. I do believe they were your founder's words. So, sir, with great respect, but you're full of baloney. Don't go anywhere, America. I'll be right back, because I still have a lot more I want to talk to you about. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network.
The progressive movement is full of lies. Why do Americans keep falling for the deception? In his new book, Liars, Glenn Beck reveals the simple answer, fear. At our most basic level, we're all afraid of something, and progressives exploit this by offering us solutions to our fears. Solutions based on lies and an unrelenting hunger for power and control. Understanding the roots of these lies is key to helping us stop the disease of progressivism. Liars by Glenn Beck. On sale now at glennbeck.com slash liars. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I'm on Twitter, at Freedom Disciple, on Facebook, at Freedom's Disciple, or Jonathan Dunn 58 Hit me up, set, get in touch with me, leave me a comment, send me a message. I love engaging with you. Um, I spend as much time as I can responding to your comments or responding to your messages. And I, I do love engaging with you, even when you disagree. For those who are a bit still unsure, why did I talk about Ted Poe and respond to his comments in the first place? Because I do believe he is right. We do need to make it crystal clear what we are for. We need to make our case based on principles. But one of the things that annoys me on left and right, and especially on the right, because we're supposed, we have more supposedly in common with our friends on the right than we do with our friends on the left. You know, ideologically, we have more in common. You would think. And I'm growing sick and tired of people just bashing people who you work with, who, you know, who are there to try and make a stand. Those 15 members of the Freedom Caucus. Later on in that interview that Ted Poe gave, actually, this one was on CNN, where he's talking about we need to be the party of yes, not just no. He said this about his Freedom Caucus colleagues. So it's a compromise, and I think that uh, there is nothing that could be added to the bill that the Freedom Caucus would ever vote yes on. And so uh, you know, I, got, I got the opinion that there's some members of the Freedom Caucus, they'd vote no against the Ten Commandments if it came up for a vote. And so... Uh, really what is it about people who go to dc and all of a sudden after a year two years five years ten years all of a sudden start talking like a liberal like is there something in the water going on right now oh you're so funny you know the freedom caucus they never say yes they always say no and i got the impression they'd vote against the ten commandments really is that is that helpful does that ad- advance anything? I think we need to make it crystal clear for all to see exactly what we are for. We are for the Constitution. We are for the individual. We are for the Constitution 100%, including numerated powers. We are for the Declaration of Independence, which states all men are created equal. We are for the founders' vision that they came together in 1776 and challenged the status quo, not following the rest of the world. And I think we have a responsibility. Actually, I need to stop saying that. I have a responsibility, and I hope you'll join with me, in laying the case and making the argument of exactly what we are for, so that it is clear 
to those on the right who are our friends, quote-unquote, our friends on the left, and to start winning the argument. Because I really believe Margaret Thatcher was right. First you win the argument, then you win the election. We need to win the arguments, folks. We need to win them. I've been around in this movement a long time, and I can't tell you the last time conservatives won the argument. Even this debate last week in going on about Obamacare, repeal and replace. You are, it's so frightening how quickly you've become like Europe. And I know people don't like when I say that, but it's true. Look at that whole debate last week. What's the first question on healthcare? Or the first question to me, if you're debating government-run healthcare. The first question is, does government have a role? Does government have a role? You debate that. Then you debate which level of government has a role, if it's local, state, or federal. And then if you come to the answer that you says, you know what, the, the consensus is clear. Government has a role, and it's the federal government's job. Then you have the discussion you had last week of, do you have Obamacare, do you have something less, do you have something more, do you have Medicaid for all, like Bernie Sanders is calling for? And I'll get to him in a second. Because he's annoying me as well, lately. All Actually, not lately, all the time. Every, every time he opens his mouth, he annoys me. But we're not having, we've just accepted the debate on healthcare. It's federally government run. It's just a matter of whose plan we go with. And I listen to people on the right who were for this bill. It's like they act like, that. you know, in 2008, America had this great healthcare system that was just utopianly run. And then Obama came along and Obamacare destroyed it. Your healthcare is second to none. It is incredible. Your people have advanced healthcare so much. But let us not sit here and pretend that in 2008, with the government involvement... The healthcare was something good. There were problems with it. The idea, if you want to have government involvement, it should be, how can we get the best healthcare system, period, with no pitfalls, with no downfalls? Not, let's get back to 2008 or 2000 or 1992. But this brings me to another point. One of the things that infuriates me on anybody who says this, on I don't care about your ideology. In case you haven't heard, this is Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders said this last week. And the audio isn't the best, so turn it up if you can, if you have a volume on your speaker. Turn this up. And I have no hesitation in saying this. If this legislation is passed, and millions of people are thrown off of health insurance, not able to get to a doctor when they must, thousands of Americans will die. So for those of you that couldn't hear that, it's he was given a talk out somewhere outside and journalist it's a it's a journalist second hand information. Had tipped the independent in in England. He basically said if this bill passes the Republican plan, that if this bill passes, basically thousands of pe- people will die. That is infuriating to me. Because you look around the world, and I'm going to share a story with you now in a second, but you look around the world and you see socialized medicine. People die because of socialized medicine each and every day. 
They die in England, they die in Ireland, they die in Europe, they die in Australia, they die in Canada. This myth that, well, if we have a single payer for all, that all of a sudden it's utopia and everything's perfect. You might have a quote-unquote right, as Bernie Sanders likes to say. You might have a right to healthcare. That doesn't mean you get it. Which brings me to a story I want to share with you. It's an older story, but it is still apt. And I can tell you this is true because I have an aunt who lives in England. And it's horrific what some of the stuff that they've just accepted. From that tip, the Daily Mail. Why you could wait a sorry, why you could face a four week waiting list to see your GP this winter. Patients will have to wait four weeks to see their family doctor this winter, the chairman of the Royal College of GPs has warned. She said the delays could be life-threatening for patients with possible symptoms of cancer and other illnesses. She said surgeries were already skating on thin ices and pressures will intensify in the coming weeks as patients fall ill with the flu and chest infections. This person who is a GP, she works part-time in a medical centre in Lincolnfield and she said she was profoundly concerned at the effects of the pressure on surgeries for patients. And I quote, If you suddenly have developed developed a lump or you've got a funny pain you know it's not desperately urgent to see your gp today maybe it is but that's sorry that's my commentary but you'd like to see a gp within a few days she said you'd certainly like to see them within a week to 10 days because you're worried can you imagine that waiting a week to 10 days to see your general practitioner i continue by the time three or four weeks has passed the non-urgent stuff may be coming urgent with lumps or bleeding problems or things that could be signs of serious disease, my profound concern is that people will delay seeking help for these things that could be life-threatening, if not tackled tackle swiftly. And she said later on, extended waiting times pose a serious risk because of all the unintended consequences. That is England, a utopia where everyone has a right to healthcare. You have a right to healthcare. It just happens to be if you get sick, you better not be life injury or life threatening because you're going to have to wait a while to see your doctor, to see your general practitioner. That is incredible. A four week waiting list. Like even just think something like obviously it's all it's easy to go to the, the kind of dramatic angle of well you know if you had a bleed or you found a lump and it was serious and it, you know you thought it might be potentially cancer or something that's you know, your brain naturally goes there but you know imagine getting like a really bad dose of the f- of the flu like I get touch wood I haven't got one this year too bad but normally every year I have a bad immune system if my mother gets sick and she comes home. I know I'm getting sick. It's just a matter of when. My my system, if someone sniffles near me, I, I feel like I'm going to get sick. Um, it's just the Irish climate, by the way. But imagine that. Imagine having to, you know, you need to go to the doctor like I do when I get a chest infection or I get a flu. I go to the doctor. It's always the same thing. You go, you wait for the doctor. You, I see him in about a day or two because I pay. It's I'm We have a two-tier system over here. Um, and I will pay, thank God, we have a two-tier system, even though the Irish politicians think that's an unfair advantage. Um, and they want to bring me down to the other people's level, not bring other people up. But that's a different subject. 
But I have to go to him and he gives me about a week supply of, of um, antibiotics and steroids to, to clear it up. I can't imagine waiting four weeks to see my GP to get those antibiotics. I think I'd be dead nearly. Or I'd feel like I was dead if I had to wait four weeks to get those antibiotics and, and steroids. But that is what happens in England. That is the system of utopia. Now imagine something, you know, something, and I'm trying to think of something, you know, something that's not life-threatening, but it's really serious, like like a hernia, or, you know, your liver bloods are all over the place, and you start going yellow. Imagine having to wait four weeks for that. It could have been a simple case of getting on antibiotics or, or you know, getting you in for an opera- operation to fix your hernia. But you got to live with four weeks with that pain and that discomfort and maybe cause more damage in that four weeks just because we're all entitled to healthcare. That is a report from England. And sadly, these type of reports, I see them in Ireland all the time. I see them in England. I see them in Europe. It is scary out there. And then we go back, we come full circle to Congressman Poe. The problem is people don't say yes, they say no. I hope that somehow, some way, the Republican Party sees sense and brings back the bill that they voted on, not once, not twice, not three, not four, not five, not even 10 or 20 or 30 times, but the bill, they passed 60, six, zero times under Obama. And it is a full repeal of Obamacare. And then I hope you go even further. I hope you repeal Obamacare 100%. And then you start bringing in practices to remove other parts of government involvement in healthcare. And seek to empower the individual. And not be their boss. Not be their saviour. And not make them dependent on you. Because this all boils down to one simple nature's law question. Which is the moral path in life? To help people and make them dependent on you? Or to help people and give them a lift up so they can help themselves? That is the ideological difference. And it's not even between left and right anymore. You can't say that. Because it's not between left and right. Congressman Poe is someone with, what did I say, 92% from ACU and 87% or something from Freedom Works. He's a right, right person. Member of the Freedom Caucus. He wants people dependent on government. And it is on both sides. And I think it is our, my, actually I can't say, I'm not going to say it's our responsibility. I need to stop that. I apologize. I am trying to remove that sentence from my word. It is my responsibility, and I hope you join with me, where we understand that this battle is not left versus right. It is liberty versus tyranny. It is to be independent versus being dependent on someone else. And it crosses party lines. It crosses ideologically divides. We have to make the case Because I firmly believe this in my heart of hearts. The freedom is the way to go. 
that freedom is the most empowering message that we can give. It just seems that so many so along the way have lost belief in that message, have lost belief in the power that message holds. Let us be the generation that inspires and breeds new life into that empowerment and that awesome inspiring message and let us share with our brothers, our sisters, our family, our communities, our country and our world that there is another option. There is another way. And it is the way of principles, of nature's law and nature's God. And the idea that an individual is sovereign and they can do anything they want. We must, again, sorry, I must be the generation and I hope to join arms with you to show and chart this new course so and make it crystal clear not what we are for, not what we are against, but the principles that we know in our heart of hearts are eternally true. i got to take one more quick break, America. Don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. I still have a lot of other topics I want to share with you. You're listening to Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. These spiders would weigh 29 million tons. As much as 478 Titanics or one Jeffy. The story, they didn't even contact me. No, they introduced me in the story. The only 29 million ton human on the face of the earth, and they didn't ask him. Tell you what, that's piss poor reporting. Typical. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn On Demand. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. For those who are new to the show, just to let you know that a new show is released every Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, and then we release the short clips from the show. Just in case you you haven't got the full hour to spend with me, you can listen to different segments of the show. They're released on Monday, just because I know we've picked up a, a few new listeners, so welcome. One of the things I want to try and one of the things I want to do better for this show and for you is to really paint a picture of how bad Europe is in many ways and how they are just going down the the, the road of man's law and are really setting very bad precedents. But I also want you to pay attention to how close America is in some of these cases. We need, the world needs America, whether you like it or not, or whether you think it's fair or not, to be a leader. We need a strong America, because whether you like it or not, you're the only country that has ever displayed a set of morals, values, and principles that are eternally true. Other countries have done it at times, and in some cases, but you're the closest to coming to perfection that this world has ever seen and no one has ever come close to repeating you even though your founding is 240 years ago 
But I want to share a couple of stories with you. One is a s- boat at different ends of the scale of, of upsetting. But I want there are two important points I think we need to make. The first story is from Ireland. And the reason I share this story is not to that I, because I particularly care about the topic, but I want to explain to you how the thought process, process goes within the Irish people because we've been so dumbed down to to just follow and obey what our masters tell us, but also how there is no outside voice to say, maybe there's another person who can do this. Maybe there's other people's responsibility to do this. So the first story had tipped the Irish Times, and it came out on Wednesday afternoon. Ireland will become the fourth country in the world to introduce plain packaging for tobacco products, the government has announced. The measure, which is designed to make tobacco less attractive to consumers, takes place on September 30th. The Minister for Health and Promotion, Marcilla Corcoran Kennedy, signed the commencement order and basically said the new legislation, it is strongly, which was strongly resisted, sorry, by the tobacco industry. It basically makes health warnings more prominent and it aims to prevent packaging from misleading customers about the harmful effects of tobacco. All their logos must be removed, and they must be sold in a plain, neutral colour. So Ireland has had this issue of smoking for the last, God knows how long, 20 years probably, 15 maybe actually, maybe since the turn of, yeah, 15 years, it's been a big issue in, in the public square, smoking. And Ireland became one of the first countries to pass a smoking ban, which basically said you couldn't smoke in a pub, you couldn't smoke in a place at work. Um, None of that. It just banned it. And it all is in the aim of, because the way government politicians look at it is, those who smoke cost the country money because of their healthcare costs. So we insist... And are even going further to remove the two-tier healthcare system that we have. We insist and want everyone on public healthcare because it is a quote-unquote right. And then we moan and bitch about your your way of life. What is so frustrating about these type of debates is when you listen to them. Is there is never any mention of the individual. Because the individual is not sovereign. It's, well, smoking is right or wrong. Well, people have that choice. They can, If people want to smoke, they can smoke. If they're going to take responsibility for their actions, let them smoke. It's the same with let them drink. Let them eat fat, fatty food. If you're willing to take responsibility, where's the problem? But no, we can't accept that because the individual is not sovereign. Because, you see, we're the government overlords. We know how to run your life. We know what's best for you. And what's best for you and what's best for Ireland is is people don't smoke. So they come up with these solutions. But also what's frustrating is, where's the family? If you really believe smoking is bad and, and smoking kills, which it does, but everything kills you in some way, shape or form, then why not talk about the parents? Why not empower the parents to to spend more time with their kids and you know build that relationship that says you know what smoking's not good for you. You need to don't do that. You know teach your kids right from wrong. But you see parents aren't 
the moral moral arbiters of society or moral arbiters of people's lives. Government is. Why empower someone else when you to do something when you can empower yourself? And what will happen? Ireland will pass this bill which it has and it's signed into law and it will fail. And in a couple of years there'll be another review and politicians will be paid extra money to, to go and look at something or government bureaucrats will be paid extra money to go and look at a story and, and come up with more solutions. Because you see the problem was we just didn't do enough or the, the rules didn't go far enough. And there'll be no mention of the individual, no mention of the families, no mention of society, no mention of church. All we do is with a bill is to empower ourselves. Which brings me to story two, and this is might upset some of you, so just be warned. This is a case from last year, and I've only come to follow it in the last couple of weeks. But I wanted to get my facts together before I shared it with you. People, one of the arguments I got when I did the show, the special show on Tommy, was, oh, people like me, you know what? You're just pro, or you're just anti-abortion. You're not really pro-life. In Europe and in certain countries, Holland been one of them, euthanasia is legal. You're allowed to help someone commit suicide. Now, Full disclosure before I share this story with you. I've got very mixed feelings on euthanasia. I am not... I'm a freedom-loving person. I'm not for people killing themselves, but if that's what they want to do, then they have that right. I can't force you to live. If people want to die, if people are going through so much pain that they can't cope, I I can't... be in my moral consistency as a Christian, but also as as a person who respects this, the sovereignty of every individual, say, no, you have to live. I'm sorry. Because it just doesn't work. It's, it's not practical, and it wouldn't work, but also I, I, I can't find the consistency in it. But there are stories out there which are really tragic. And this is one of the ones I want to share with you because this is this turns my stomach. My stomach's even turning just talking about it. Hat tip, a live paper, newspaper. An elderly woman in Holland with her family gathered to watch a doctor kill her put up such a fight for life that the female doctor had to request the relatives to hold down the victim while she gave her the lethal injection. The woman who lived in a nursing home in Holland suffered from dementia Although the doctor had secretly put drugs in the 80-year-old's coffee to sedate her, she woke up and battled not to be injected with the lethal poison. The local watchdog committee for killings admitted that the case involved some irregularities that merited a rebuke, but that they judged the doctor acted in good faith and did not break the country's euthanasia laws. This story continues. Basically, they had decided that the patient, when she was in full possession of her mind, had said that she wanted to be killed when herself, when she herself had decided the time was right. She didn't, when she was, she had dementia, she didn't want to suffer. She didn't want to go through what she, obviously the consequences of her dementia and the world she thought she'd live in. 
The woman was said to have often shown signs of fear and anger and would wander around the residential home at night. As a result, the nursing home's doctor decided she was suffering intolerably but was no longer in a position to judge that the time was now right for the killing to go ahead. Michael Cook of BioEdge said, Nobody respected the woman's right to live at home when it was clear and unambiguous, but they respected her wish to be killed when it was not. It was a peculiar interpretation of autonomy which honours a wish to die, but not a wish to live. Holland introduced a law allowing the killing of the sick and elderly 17 years ago, and since then more than 5,500 people have been put down for a variety of reasons. If we don't have morals, values and principles, this is the world we could live in. Again, put my feelings and and I'm guessing some of your feelings aside maybe for whether euthanasia is good or bad or not. But we're not questioning this. This doctor decided for this woman the time was now right for you to die. The doctor decided, not she, not the lady. And when it came to it, she put up such a fight for life that her own family had to sedate her. This is troubling for so many reasons. How dead do you have to be inside to do that? Let's talk about this story for a few minutes from several different angles. How dead do you have to be inside to be that doctor? How dead do you have to be, first of all, to make that decision? That's a decision which, my God, how could you do it? That you're now the moral arbiter of when you're when it's the time is right to die or live? But after making that decision, after making that painful decision saying, it's time for you to die, then seeing the woman put up a fight, calling for her family to restrain her and go ahead and give her the lethal injection, how dead do you have to be inside? How dead do you have to be inside? How can you go home and then, I don't know, I haven't, don't want, didn't want to, didn't care, just was too upset to, to do research into the doctor. But can you imagine doing that all day or having that decision and then going home to your family, to your husband, maybe she's gay, to her partner, to her kids, to her parents? Then I thought about the old, the woman. She was actually the first person I thought of. That old lady. Imagine... If you're a if you're a believer like I am, where when you die you your body dies but your soul goes on for eternity and you go to heaven and you see your loved ones, imagine having that as your last memory. Imagine I don't know if you how could you go to to paradise, to heaven, knowing that your own family held you down and killed you? I don't know 
and honestly, I haven't talked long and hard enough about this, but I don't know if you, I'm guessing, you know, your feelings go with you. How could you not be anything but bitter against your family going on to the next life? And after I thought about her, I thought about her kids, her family. Imagine being someone around that and seeing, witnessing that. Your family member holding your auntie or your granny down or your cousin down so she could get a lethal injection. How could you look at that person the same ever again? How could those individuals, how could you feel if you went to the, if you were at her funeral? I held my mother down or my granny down so she could get euthanized. This is the world we live in. How could you do that? I can't comprehend it. I, I just... I, there's, you know, there's certain things my brain just, just cannot comprehend. If we are to have a better tomorrow, we better start waking up and making the case for life. Because life is precious. We only get one shot at this. We only get one opportunity at life. And so many of us seem to be, I don't know if dead is the right word, but dead inside. We just go along because it's now legal. Well, the government said it's okay and it's legal and they say it's not murder, so hey, I may as well help out. But lastly, I thought of, of the judges who reviewed this case. How, how could you not see a problem with this? How can you not see a problem where someone is fighting for their life and you asked, you were fighting for life and you asked the family to help restrain them so you could give a lethal dose of poison? This is from Holland. We have to make the case. We have to make the case for life. Sorry, again, there I am again. We, we, we. I. Because this is what is at stake. Whether we like it or not, or whether we think it's fair or not. This is what's at stake. And if it all boils down to me, yet again, to that old Reagan quote. If not you, who... If not now, when? I gotta take one last quick break, America. I'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house? Hi, I'm Joan London. Listen, I know how difficult it is to find senior care for someone you love. 
That's why I recommend a free service called A Place for Mom. They are the nation's largest senior living referral service. Call A Place for Mom today. To receive free information on senior living communities in your area, call A Place for Mom at 1-800-803-6951. With Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Thank you so much for sticking with me, America. As always, I am on social media uh, Twitter at Freedom Disciple, uh, Facebook at Freedom's Disciple, or Jonathan.dunn58. Send me a comment, leave me a message. I love engaging with you. I love hearing your thoughts on, on the shows and where you think I'm right, where you think I'm wrong opening an engagement a discussion i really do appreciate it anytime you get in touch and i do my best to answer you back as quickly as i can i don't know about you but i'm kind of bummed out after that last segment because every time i read that story and i've been doing research into it it's horrific but i want to share one last story with you from europe and it's it's frightening but i also i have a hard time believing it's true um, but I'll, I'll share this story with you and just, you can all make up your mind whether this is actually true or not. So, now this is a couple of years old, this story. Hat tip to Telegraph. So basically, there's a man and a woman, and they marry. And then they're married for 21 years, and they divorce. And divorce not been enough the wife then brought the husband's ex-husband back to court again. And basically she sued him for a lack of sex. Now I, I know this, I, I know every guy I've, I've shared this with a few people because I just came across it recently. Um, every guy I said that, that never happened. That never, ever, ever happened. Now I, you can make a joke out of it if you want, but I am sharing this for a reason, not just for kicks and giggles. I'm sharing this for a reason because we in this world, in Europe, are very much like America in that we only go by precedent. And this has set a precedent. Let me read from the article for you. A 51-year-old man was fined under Article 215 of France's Civil Code, which states married couples must agree to a shared communal life. A judge has now ruled that this law implies that sexual relations must form a part of marriage. The rare legal decision came after the wife filed for divorce two years ago, blaming the breakup on her husband's lack of activity in the bedroom. The 47-year-old wife took him back to court and demanded 10,000 euros, which is roughly, the exchange rate isn't good right now, roughly maybe 11 $11,500, so it's not a lot, that much, um, in compensation for the lack of sex over 21 years of marriage. The husband's defense was tiredness and health problems, and it prevented him from being more attentive between the sheets. But a judge in France's highest court, quote, a sexual relationship between husband and wife is the expression of affection they have for each other, and in this case it was absent. 
By getting married, couples agreed to sharing their life, and this clearly implies they will have sex with each other. So basically, she got 10,000 euros, which is 11, about 11, 11,500 because he didn't have sex with her. Think of the precedent this is setting for men and women. First of all, again, the question when I read these things is, and this is this is what I'm going to try and do in each and every argument, is to un- un- explain the underlying principle. Why is government involved in marriage? The argument for me is not traditional marriage versus gay marriage. It's what does the government have a role in marriage at all? Have that debate. And then if there's a clear consensus that says government has a role, okay, then we'll... We'll discuss it. We'll discuss the role. We'll discuss who can get married and who can't. But on that debate, put me on firmly on the side again of no government doesn't have a role. It does not have a role. A marriage is one union between one man and one woman coming before God in a religion. But think of what you can do with this precedent. Like, the thing that annoys me, and I see it happening over in America now with some of our liberal friends and some of our more moderate Republican friends, is they just say all these words to make precedent. You know, the way, the way they tack the general welfare clause. So this judge ruled on an article 215 that said they share a communal life, and that's open to interpretation now. Hey, you didn't have sex enough for me. Well, you, you agreed to share a communal life. You're guilty. you got to pay damages. Well, you agreed to cook for me every day. Well, you agreed to share communal life. You pay damages. At what point do we get the government out of our lives? Like, am I just the only one who thinks this? But why is government in every part of our life? There are parts of my life I don't need government involvement at all. But so many over here just accept it. They just accept it, and they go, well, let's let the government be the the moral arbiter of our lives. And whatever way the government rules, if they say yes or no, we'll follow them. We are not sheep. We are not cattle. We have minds of our own. We have spirits. We have hearts. We have souls. We have our own brains. How about we, we try... Again, there's me saying we... I try, make the argument for the individual of why they're sovereign. This world right now in 2017, and for the next 5, 10, 20 years, is going to face major challenges. And how we respond is going to be key. Look at just some of the stuff I've said about tobacco. We just accept whatever the government says. We don't have any parent role or community role in it. Um... Pro the life story from Holland, we're just killing people. The doctor says now is the time to die, so the person died, and her family helped her. And now this. Can you imagine how much more complicated things are going to come when we start talking about artificial intelligence? Because bear in mind, when you look at artificial intelligence and self-driving cars, we're teaching them morals. These are the morals we are saying that's okay for our lives. And we're teaching artificial life morals? I was reading an article a couple of weeks ago, maybe it was about a month ago, where they're doing this testing on the self-driving car. 
and they're saying you know if it has to have a crash what what life is most important you know if you have to hit one an old lady or a kid which one does the car choose or if the car has to hit a pedestrian or it has to go into swerve into another car which one does it choose we have to teach the artificial safe the self-driving car morals yet we're the people who accept this how can we give artificial intelligence a sense of morals and purpose when we don't live by them ourselves I firmly believe, and I'm not just saying this, I firmly believe our future can be incredibly bright. I think technology can make our lives incredibly better. I look at how much my life has changed through technology. I couldn't do this show eight, nine years ago. I couldn't do this show and do what I do today to help America under the end of George Bush and the start of Barack Obama. I can do it now after one presidency. Can you imagine what I'll be able to do or what power we will have to influence society in four or eight years? I can't wait to see the technology. Even something simple of the entertainment. I remember I used to I buy I'm a big baseball fan at start of baseball season. I remember buying one of the first year or the second year MLB came out with MLB TV where I could watch every Yankees game. It was laughable how bad the coverage was. You had to guess balls and strikes because it was fuzzy, it would stop, it would start. Now I can get um, next definition on my iPad, I can watch it in slow-mo, I can clearly see the strike zone, the strike zone is up on the TV for me if I want it, I can listen to any type of commentary, it's incredible, technology can make us so more smart, more useful, we can learn so much more, even things like Audible, I'm listening to different books, it's incredible. I don't have to read books anymore. I can just listen to them. And then if I want to buy the book afterwards, I will to make my notes. But I can just get a book each month. One book a month. It's incredible. That's the power of technology. But if we don't start having these debates and start basing and understanding that each and every debate we have must be grounded in some type of value, principle, or, or morality... If we don't accept that and we just go at man's law and we're programming AI and self-driving cars morals, even when our morals just go with the wind, they change on a dime. That is one nasty looking future if we don't get it sorted. We have, again, sorry, I must be part of a generation and I hope you join with me that starts speaking up for values and principles. Because if we don't, I bring you back to the Reagan question. If me and you are not going to speak values and principles, who will? And if we're not going to start speaking values and principles, now when is the good time to start? Is it a case of, well, we wait till Donald Trump is out of office and then all of a sudden we carry up the mantra when when we're back into opposition? No thanks. We need to make the argument. We need to win the arguments and set out our course for morals and values. Because your founders knew what I know. 
There are a set of principles. We can agree or disagree on them. But there is a set of principles that come from nature's law and nature's God. We might differ on which ones are actually from nature and which ones aren't. And that's okay. But we must start understanding there has to be a foundation. Because the the potential that technology and the future has to be freer than ever before also comes with a downside. That if we don't base it in morals, values and principles, not only will our future not be bright, it will be darker than anything you can imagine. It really will. And that is the choice we have. What life do we want for ourselves and and for our prosperity, as your founder said, but uh, in modern day term, our future generations? What world do you want to hand off to your kids and your grandkids and your great-grandkids? I can think of no better gift than handing them off a world and a country that believes in freedom, believes in the individual, and believes in, in a set of values, morals, and principles. And that is what we are going to try and do. And we don't do this by insults. We don't do this by yelling and screaming. We don't do this by going on to the local media station or media, different media outlets and, and bad-mouthing others. I believe we do this by changing hearts and minds. I believe we do this by questioning everything with boldness and everyone with boldness. And meeting on the battleground of ideas. Because I firmly believe this more than ever. We have the message that works. Our message is the empowerment one. We're not saying you need me. We're saying you don't need anybody. You can do it yourself. You're a free sovereign individual. You don't need my approval to do this. Go for it. That is a powerful message. And one that I think if we embrace and understand again, one that will tear down those walls that the left and a lot of the right have built over the last 10, 50, 20, 50, 100 years. Until next week, America, we finish this show the way we finish each and every week, by saluting the heroes in society, because there are plenty of heroes in society. Your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel, and your vets. The men and women who risk it all 24-7 for our daily and lively freedoms. And lastly, if you've heard nothing I've spoken about today, remember this. America is great because Americans are good. America is great because Americans are good. I didn't say that. I wish I had the, the brain power to come up with something so eloquent. That is Alexis de Tocqueville. Never ever forget that. Be a bet, be your better self and let us raise to a standard like George Washington said that the good and honest can repair. Until next Saturday at 12 noon America, this is your favourite Irishman, Freedom's Disciple. Have a wonderful and blessed week and God bless America. Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on demand. The Blaze Radio Network. Ow.